pray before we jump into chapter 10. Father, again, we thank you for the guidance, the consideration, the analysis that this book has given us on the prayer example that Jesus gave his disciples. Pray that you would continue to cause us to be intentional with our words when we come to you, to have the right spirit, to have the right heart, to not speak gibberish or unnecessary repetition, to not focus primarily on what we want. Help us, Father, to recognize who you are, to recognize what you want and what you are doing. Guide us tonight, Lord, in our discussion so that you would be glorified. Amen. All right, so the first couple chapters in this book kind of laid the ground for why this study um, then through chapter 9 we did a breakdown of the different aspects of again what he calls the disciples prayer and now in chapter 10 we have an examination of what we pray for and what we should pray for so I have something starred on almost every page, um, and I think this is, so obviously chapter 11 is important as well, praying for the lost, um, but this is a culmination of the purpose behind this book, so we, we won't be rushing through this, and in a sense, uh, before we move on to the next uh, Thing that we're doing we've got a little bit of time so I'm not gonna worry about trying to get this chapter finished today if we do we do if we don't we don't so just uh, curious for discussion purposes who was able to read the chapter okay so I will exhort you if you did not read it please read it on your own this is uh, a foundational uh, look at praying for the right things that I think is, is very helpful. And uh, you'll we get, obviously can't read the whole chapter, so you'll miss out on a few things if you don't read it yourself. All right, so let's jump in, page 153. Uh, I'm going to start us off with... Uh, I guess it's almost the whole page, but uh, bear with me here. He says in that second sentence, we would discover that most prayers, he asked the question, how does the church pray today? We would discover that most prayers are often misdirected, short-sighted, and selfish. We typically pray for health, happiness, and success. We pray for personal comfort. We pray for solutions to remedy all the physical problems of life, 
such as healing, a place to live, a job, a car, a husband, a wife, children, a promotion, more money, and so on. As important as those things are in some respects, especially to people in need, they are low on the priority list in God's kingdom. And then the last sentence there, our priority must be with the advancement of God's kingdom. So in general, that is the the thesis statement of this chapter. Our priority must be on the advancement of God's kingdom. All right, so any thoughts on that first page? Priester for it, yep, Pastor. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, where he pointed out these are important where there is need. So I think where there is need, it's understandable. And I guess the challenge for us is identifying a need. You know, there's a need for, you know, people in other countries, maybe people, some people here, to have food. There's a need to have shelter. There's a need to have... Uh, the basic things of life. We don't need, always need a, a bigger house or a better car or uh, a higher paying job. We don't always need those things. So, I don't know, I guess that's the way I took it is where there's need, obviously we pray for those things, but we can't ignore the spiritual aspects. And I'm, I'm curious... In that instance, was that the primary opportunity that Paul had to strengthen his relationship with them? Or was just that the one that was the most notable? Just wondering, you know, the, the way you explained it, that it, you know, he talks about the fact that because they gave and it helped. Just wondering if that was for the purpose of um, pointing out the temporal need or an observation for and an admonition for Christians going forward to not be so selfish with their money. Yeah, I'm just wondering, was the, was the emphasis on, hey, it's important to pray for money? Or was the emphasis on, hey, we need to think about other people and not be so selfish and, and give sacrificially? 
No. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess that would go to motivation again, though. If, if, the, if somebody's focus on prayer is to impress someone, then their motive is wrong in the first place, right? So I think what this breaks it down to is the focus of prayer is God. And so it's, it's seeing him work, and we know that the greatest need is spiritual, and so that's where our prayers should line up. I don't think he's saying, because I guess he has that disclaimer, or, you know, in the parentheses, uh, where'd it go? Uh, especially to the, while these things are important in some respects, especially to the people in need, they are low on the priority list of God's kingdom. So I guess I would, the way I took it, and I guess that's where we can, go with the understanding that people might take it too far. The way I took it was by and large our prayers should be spiritual. At the same time we recognize there is need and we pray for those needs. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, again, this, that's the purpose for this, is to consider these things. Uh, I think part of it is the motivation to pray for those things. Is the motivation to pray for 100 kids so that you can say you got 100 kids? If it is, then that's very fleshly, right? If the motivation is uh, because you really want to see God work and you think that 100 would be some type of uh, not even a goal, just a, 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 a marker that would be significant to those around, you know. So I, I think it comes down to motivation. And ultimately, as we've said from the very beginning, <clears throat> our words matter, but what ultimately matters is our heart. So can we pray for temporal things with a right heart? Yes. Are we more likely to pray for temporal things because we're selfish and greedy? Yes. Yeah, Nora. Yeah, and so, like, I really appreciated Karen's prayer for uh, Archie. Right? that he would have witnessing opportunities on his travels. That's thinking of God's kingdom as opposed to just ha having a, his flight arrive on time, right? So that's, I think, the, the primary focus is consider the spiritual, consider how this might further God's kingdom. And again, going back to the, the 100 kids, if the goal is 
you know, to have more children so that uh, more children will receive Christ. Obviously, you know, there's, there's good motivation for that. But I, I think it's something that we should struggle with. I think every single thing we pray for, we should examine our motives and our words. And I think the, the conclusion that I get from this chapter is don't come to God flippantly. Don't come carelessly. Don't come lazily. Don't come selfishly. Come intentionally. Come uh, confidently in him. Come humbly uh, and seek his kingdom, both here and in heaven, you know, with that consideration of eternity. That should, all of our prayers should be wrapped in that. So, all right, 154. Oh, Jonathan, were you going to say something else on that? Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. On one hand, when I think about George Mueller, I think in some respects, God chose him, God used him, not on the same level, but almost like a Job. He used his life to be a great testimony, or a David, or a Joseph or a Daniel, right? When we think about prayer warriors, if we've read George Mueller, we think about George Mueller, right? So, on one hand, I think he was a very special case, but on the other hand, I think if more people had the willingness and the faith that George Mueller had, we would see more of God answering those types of prayers so it did yeah I mean while he did have goals and that's that's the challenge I mean one of the things we talked about a number of times in the when we were going through the book was he would pray for something but then he would back off and really check his motives and ask other people if he has wrong motives and you know he didn't enter into prayer about anything boastfully or arrogantly or um, without consideration of his motives. So, again, it comes back to our hearts. What is the reason for asking for these things? Is it building God's kingdom? Is there a legitimate need? I think that's where the majority of, of our prayers should land. All right, now we're on 154. And I'm going to, I won't hand it out now because it'll just be a distraction, but at the end, he, uh, he listed 16 things that we should pray about in the verses. Oh, I just realized I didn't finish writing the verses. So the first five, I didn't write the references. So if you have the book, you can do it. 
um, but I basically just typed it out so that everybody has a reference point of the different things that, um, different uh, examples that Paul prayed about, humility, purity, contentment, faith, righteousness, unity, gentleness, patience, love, joy, thankfulness, light, knowledge, wisdom, truth, and fruitfulness. These are the types of things that um, we should be praying for. All right, anyone have anything on 154 or 155 that they underline? Jonathan? Yeah, this, this story, it's funny. This story, I, I think, has a great impact, and you can look at it from a couple different perspectives. Uh, you know, we might focus on the attorney, we might focus on the banker, we might focus on, you know, the solitaire, the, our, uh, yeah, solitarity. Um, solitary confinement in essence, right? We can talk about those things, but what I think the conclusion is, um, he says, let's see, in that, in that quote on 155, he says, tomorrow at 12 o'clock I shall be free, but before leaving this room I find it necessary to say a few words to you with a clear conscience and before God who sees me I declare to you that I despise freedom and life and health and all that your books call the joys of this world I know I'm wiser than you all and I despise all your books I despise all earthly blessings and wisdom all is worthless and false how uh, hollow and deceiving like the mirage you may be proud wise and beautiful but death will wipe you away from the face of the earth as it does the mice that live beneath your floor. So, sounds very much like Solomon. All of life is vanity without God. And that's the, that's the reality. Obviously, he made the statement to live under any conditions is better than not to live at all. At this point, after this time, he has a better sense of what that actually means. And I do think, to a certain extent, if we all had the opportunity to spend, I mean, ultimately, I think it was ended up being six years. No, no, no. By the time he started reading the Bible. I think it was like the ninth year. It was either the sixth year or the ninth year. Or I, I don't remember exactly. It doesn't, but it wasn't the whole time. But basically, he spent six to ten years focusing on God and focusing on the Word. And to a certain extent, while it is so much more enjoyable to be around other believers, I think we could all benefit from five to ten years alone with God.
Yeah. Mike. So, again, I, we don't know his motive. I, I took it, I, I considered that as well. I can see, see it coming arrogantly, but I can also see it coming just from a, a matter of fact. I'm wiser because I know truth, and you're focused on the earthly knowledge. So I know that I'm wiser, and I've, you know, from spending this time. So, yeah. I can see it could definitely be taken as arrogance. Well, we don't know what he did after he got out. Well, and that was an act of mercy on the banker. Yeah, he would have ruined him. Any other thoughts on the bet? <laughs> All right, 156. I did appreciate the points, and this is something worth considering and reflecting on in our own hearts. In the middle at the bottom there, it says some people have to learn the hard way what is of value, and there are some who never learn. And I think it's worthwhile to ask ourselves, are there areas where we are so stubborn that we have to learn the hard way? And are there areas that we refuse to learn? All right, 157. Norma? Yeah, and I think, so going back to where we started, praying for um, God to provide, to provide through people, through the, uh, people from one church for another church, or praying for um, enough unbelievers to come, that in a sense could fall under uh, powerful service, seeing God work, and you know, I think these are good categories to consider. What are the, the main things that we're praying for? You know, comfort. Are we praying for comfort or are we praying for um, fulfillment in spiritual things? Are we praying for uh, happiness or are we praying that we would walk worthy? You know, so I, I think more times than not, we're probably praying more temporal, like I said, and this is a good good reminder of the, the things we should focus on. And I know I mentioned this in the past. I rem when we first started praying as a family with the kids, 
the kids would say, well, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know these people. And the simple instruction that I gave them is, if we don't believe that they are a Christian, then we pray that God would save them. If we believe they are a Christian, then we pray that they would be faithful and that they would grow and be more like Jesus. So, in a simple way, that's the way we should pray, right? Considering the spiritual. Addressing needs, certainly, but focusing on the spiritual. All right, anything else on 157? Yeah, I've got... Yeah, I've got a bunch. If you don't, if you've got something, go ahead. Otherwise, I've got the whole last third of the page. Yeah, so I'll just read it. So in the middle of that first paragraph under the resource, starting with but, <clears throat> but that in itself was not enough. I'm talking about. Uh, it says Paul was a faithful shepherd who taught God's people whenever and wherever he could the importance of obeying his commands. But that was not enough in itself. Uh, he had to turn to God who alone could prompt that obedience in the people. Paul knew that God desires to sanctify his people and that, and that was his desire as well. Therefore he prayed for the things God wanted to accomplish in his people. If you want to pray for one another, don't pray for the physical necessities only. Make it your priority to pray for the important spiritual issues of life because they are the great, of the greatest concern to God. His ultimate purpose is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on. But then, again, that goes back to what we were talking about on the first page. Yeah, and I would say in every instance, if we are going to be faithful to God, we have to pray about something. I'm not talking about help me to tie my shoes today. Maybe for some people who are relearning to tie their shoes after a stroke, but generally speaking, we're talking, Lord, help me to obey you today. Help me to flee temptation. Help me to be kind and patient with my spouse and children. Help me to um, be a good steward of what you have provided, right? I mean, if we're not praying these thing, these types of things and we're just doing them, we're doing them in vain. When we have that witnessing opportunity, when we have, um, you know, the opportunity to read a book like this or to read the Bible, if we're not praying beforehand, we're relying on our own strength and understanding to accomplish things. It's vanity. It's in vain to do anything without um, seeking his help. He then continues, 
the little tests and trials in life are important only in as far as they reveal your greater spiritual need. God is most concerned about your response and attitude toward events that occur in your life. And this leads into um, later on after the summer, there's a, a little book. Were we going to do it before or were we going to do it after? Okay. So um, how many of you have heard the book, Your Reactions Are Showing? All right. Buckle up. It is, it is an amazing, I think it's a five, five or six chapters. It is a short book, but oh man. Uh, imagine being drawn and quartered. That's what it feels like reading that. It is painful because it is so true in how sinful our reactions are. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a great little book. So that will be something that we probably go through in the fall. Your reactions are showing. It doesn't sound like a spiritual title, but it is all biblical, all spiritual. All right, uh, anything else on 158 under the requests? I know, quite a bit, right? Okay. Yeah. So again, going back to the motive, why are we praying? Are we praying to check off a box? Are we praying to... Um, appease our conscience? Are we praying because we truly want to see God work? Are we praying because we know that we are an image bearer of his and we want to glorify him both on earth and, hev and in heaven? Anybody have anything on 158? They underlined? Yeah, again, just... Uh, little more breakdown of fulfillment, worthiness, and, and power, how that should affect both our motives and our words when we pray. All right, so we've got a deeper look, starting with worthiness. Anything... Anybody underline something under worthiness, either at the end of 158 or on 159? Yeah. If we claim to belong to Christ, we need to live in such a way that honors him. And that's, that's the epitome of all of these things, right? If, so this is a silly example, but 
popped in my head. Ben, I don't know if I shouldn't use his name, but too late. Ben sometimes doesn't think, and he'll listen to this, so he'll appreciate it. Uh, and sometimes before meals, thankfully, he washes his hands. I appreciate it greatly. After, you know, teaching him for years, to, it's important to wash your hands. Well, recently, uh, he started grabbing, you know, we've got the paper towel where it's got the half sheets, and, you know, wash your hands, you normally want to dry them, right? Well, I use a half a sheet to dry my hands. And he grabs four or five half sheets. And his hands are smaller than mine. And I confess that I've lost my temper more than one occasion, including yesterday, uh, because of this. And my frustration is that he does it without any consideration, despite all the conversations that we've had in the past. And my reaction showed for sure. Um, but I think in a similar way, not a sinful way, God has told us many things. He has told us how important it is to come to him worthily. He has told us that we should come to him humbly but confident. He has told us that we should come to him um, with reverence uh, but also boldly. Right? So these seeming contradictions are not contradictions, but they are things that we need to consider when we come to him. The point is to be considerate when we come to him. Don't just, you know, start going into not just vain repetition, but vain words, period. He doesn't want our gibberish. He doesn't want our leftovers. He wants our heart and we need to say what we mean and mean what we say. Alright, 159. Anything else on Yeah, there are three verses that he references, and we already read the one. Um, but yes, I mean, we need to come worthily to him. We need to understand what that means. We need to look up these verses. We need to uh, realize that there is worthiness and there is unworthiness. And much of the time, we probably come, come unworthily to the throne. Yeah, so the calling is not, the calling is not salvation in and of itself. The calling is, in a sense, our 
occupation as Christians. It's our calling. It is what he has called us to do. It's how he, is, uh, requ- how he requires us to live. Would you like to read that, Jonathan? You know what, that is a good point. Let's park here for a second. We must remember God didn't save us because we were good. He didn't save us because we were better than anybody else. He didn't save us even because we could be better if he saved us. He saved us purely out of his grace. He took something that was, while value in his eyes, in in some respects trash and he made it into something of value the only value each of us has eternally speaking is what Christ has put into us so we must understand that prior to And even thereafter, in and of ourselves, we are unworthy. We are, I mean, God's grace and mercy that he shows us is so immeasurable. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that anyone has done. If we think of great saints, you know, whether it was Paul or whether it was... George Mueller or Augustine or whatever. We think of different people throughout history where we think, wow, they were great people. Charles Spurgeon, right? Uh, Lots of people that we can think of that were really good examples. They were unworthy. It was only the power of God working in them and through them that gave them any value. We have to recognize that we are all that same way. We are all unworthy. And when we start feeling haughty about, you know, how we do things, we have to recognize that it is by God's grace that we do anything well. All right. Let's move on to 160. There's a lot that I underlined. I'm trying not to read every single thing. Obviously, some of this is building on what's been already said, so there's going to be a little repetition, which is good, and which is why we should read the whole chapter. Uh, he says at the, at the end of that first paragraph on 160, the suffering he ushers into your life peels away the flesh and drives you to himself and that ultimately brings spiritual maturity and then he says we should all desire that no believer bring reproach on Christ and dishonor his name so again 
these are things that we know, these are things that have been said, but we have to remember them. We need to be reminded of them. We need to consider the implications of these truths, not just say, okay, yeah, I know it. Okay, well, what are you going to do with it? Is it if, and I know I've said this a hundred times, but I love the, the thought of it. Uh, Jim Berg once said, if you're ever reading the Bible and you're wondering how long you should stay in a certain section, stay in that section until you see a change in you, until other people see a change in you. I thought that was good. I don't know that I always do that, but I think it's a good admonishment. I mean, it's great to say I read the Bible, you know, once a year for 50 years, but if people don't see Christ in you, it was for naught. Anything else on 160? I've got something that last full paragraph. Anything else? All right, so last full paragraph, he says, you and I have an immeasurable privilege and responsibility to bear the name of Christ in a worthy manner. This was a consistent theme throughout Paul's epistles. To the Ephesians, he wrote, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Phenomenal verses to memorize. Phenomenal verses to aspire to. Phenomenal verses to, to pray that we would imitate. All right, 160. Again, he's got the list there, which I think is very helpful. Anybody underline anything else on 161? That goes back to, again, I mean, a lot of these things that he's, verses that he's quoted are the verses that he's referencing in this list. And I think that's a good indication that we should pray for those things. If we have Paul writing down that he's praying for these things, especially in multiple areas, I think that's a, a good example for us to follow. All right, 162. Get into fulfillment. Bottom of that first paragraph, it says, Paul is asking God to accomplish in our lives every desire that is good by his definition. A lot of times, where's the, what's the verse? Uh, 
the Psalms. Uh, yeah, where he says, uh, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think a lot of times, at least uh, in the prosperity gospel churches, they take that to mean he's going to give you what you desire. But that is not what he's saying. Yeah. This is, he's saying he will give you the right desires, not he will give you what you desire. And that's what we should be praying for. We should be praying that we would desire what he desires. We should be praying that our wants would be in line with his wants. And again, that goes back to our motivation uh, of why we're praying. It's not, and again, going back to George Mueller, I think that was essentially what he was modeling. He wanted to desire what God desired, and that was his whole goal, and that was lived out in amazing fashion by God's grace, and he did amazing things. You know, same thing with Brother Andrew and um, a number of, of people throughout the years, but it's because they desired what God desired. And we see that in Paul's heart. Paul desired what God desired. And when David desired what God desired, he was doing well. When he started desiring what he desired, he fell off a cliff. All right, anything else <clears throat> under fulfillment that anyone underlined? Um, oh, yes. Psalm 138.8. How could David be so confident because his agenda was the same as God's agenda? And, I mean, let's be honest. If we've ever prayed really confidently, it's because we knew it was what God wanted. If we ever pray hesitantly, it's because we're not sure. All right. Power. Third area. Worthiness, fulfillment, and power says in that middle paragraph uh, Paul prayed for the, that way for the Ephesians that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man Ephesians How do we know that power? Yes. Now, specifically, I would say by seeing his spirit work. Right? It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to see it. And I don't think as much as we don't see Christ, we have the ability to see him working. And if we've been saved long enough, we've seen him work. We've seen him do things that, you know, were impossible for us to do. And 
I'm speaking mostly spiritually, but saving that insane Bob Lamb guy. I mean, if you knew me before, whew, you would be like, wow, can't believe he saved you. <laughs> and there might be a few others here that could say that. But we see his power through him working. And sometimes it's him working in us. Sometimes it's working, him working through us. Sometimes it's him working around us. <clears throat> in its simplistic form, I would say every salvation is a miracle because it requires an act of God. Then we get into the reason. Our reason to pray for such spiritual benefits is a fairly obvious, a fairly obvious one, one that we have affirmed again and again in this book, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate reason we do anything in the Christian life. If that isn't our ultimate goal, we're focusing too much on ourselves. And <clears throat> let's be honest, this can become a rut if we are not intentional. Saying something is for the glory of God can become a habit, can become a ritual, can become something thoughtless that just rolls off of our tongue. May it never be. May it be that when we say it, we mean it. We know that we should sing praises to God so that he would be honored. And yet, I'm pretty sure you, like me, have sang praises that you weren't fully engaged, you weren't fully thinking about God's honor. And we should confess that. But he desires that we truly have his honor in mind when we're doing these things which is why we pray. Because we can't do it on our own. We can't do it without praying. If a Christian thinks that they can wake up and go about their day and honor God and not spend any time with him, they are delusional. It can't happen. It won't happen. If we do anything apart from acknowledging him, it's in our own strength. It's worthless. All right, this is one thing I'm going to disagree with Johnny Mac on. I thought this last story about the Pony Express was pretty dumb. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, this was a, a bunt that went foul. Yeah, I didn't think it expressed the... He says, I hope you'll begin to have to give priority to the important spiritual matters, but to do so is not easy since our tendency is to focus on the temporal. I'm not sure there's a great translation in the Pony Express, but we'll give him an E for effort. All right. <clears throat> Any other 
thoughts on the chapter as a whole or this last page in 164? Anything jump out to you? Yeah, I mean, if we can cultivate, which I, I think we all have the opportunity, if we can cultivate a relationship with God like that to be able to come to him, I mean, just imagine, imagine the type of relationship you have to have with a human being to talk to them like that. It takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of time, it takes obedience, it takes... Uh, Devotion takes faithfulness, takes confidence, takes a lot of things. And these are the things that we need to pray for so that we would be able to come as boldly, as confidently, as um, also reverently as Daniel did and, and others. And to pray knowing that he is going to work, that he's going to do something. I'm not saying we can always know what he's going to do. But I can say this. I'm going to make an assumption that every single person here is a true follower of Christ. I can guarantee this. He wants each of us to be praying that each of us would become more like Christ. So we can pray that confidently. We can pray that boldly. We can pray that knowing that he is going to either answer that so that we can see it or he's going to kill us because we're disobedient. Now, if we're a little bit older, he might kill us for other reasons, you know, but <laughs> might be just to give us rest. <laughs> right, Jim? <laughs> and I say kill us in the most reverent way possible, of course. What'd you say, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the story probably could have took maybe a little bit more details could have drove the, the point home more. That uh, the point was, yeah, they needed to sacrifice, be willing to sacrifice their life to accomplish a task. All right. Oh, I didn't even watch the clock. But we finished. So, read chapter 11 for next week. And... Uh, Father, please drive these truths, these points to our heart. I pray that these would not just be things that we think about for a minute and move on. I pray that they would be things that fundamentally change our prayer lives, change our heart attitudes towards you and others and how we pray. 
Father, I pray that by your grace you would provoke our hearts to strive after you, to seek your glory, and to honor you with the way that we live. Forgive us for walking unworthily of your name. Please, by the power of your spirit, fulfill in us what you desire. Make us more like Christ. Pray this, Father, so that you would be magnified.